0: This is Getting Started as an Audiobook Narrator, Chapter 2. Today, we're going to be looking at technique, and indeed, for the next few episodes, or chapters, we're going to be looking at, in finer detail, the technique of actually narrating. So, in Chapter 1, we looked at the most basic information you need to start being a narrator, and we looked at the most basic kit that you need to start being a narrator. And the most important thing, I shall say it, again, is the space you record in and the sound treatment you give to it. So, as someone said, Booth Junkie, he's a fantastic YouTube channel, go check him out on YouTube. He says, if he had $1,000 to start his career as a narrator, he would spend $900 on his recording space and $100 on the microphone. If he had $100 to spend on his audiobook narrating career or his voiceover career, he would spend 90 on his recording space and 10 on the microphone. You get the idea. The space is important, the microphone comes second. We covered that, though. So this week, we are doing technique. And more specifically, today, we're doing the most important technique, that being pacing. You can have a lot of other issues with your narration, but if you generally get the pacing right, it's going to be very listenable. Obviously, there are some things that will be deal-breakers, but assuming you don't have any huge issues, pacing will get you a long way to a decent-sounding audiobook narration. So what do I mean by pacing? Pacing is the speed at which you read, except it's more complicated than that, because it's not just the speed with which you read words, it's the gaps you put between them, it's the emphasis you put on the pauses, I guess, in a way. It will all become far more apparent as we go, but pacing is what draws a listener in and what makes a story a story. You'll see as we go. So what are we covering today? We're covering why pacing matters. We're giving some examples from me of various types of pacing and how it can affect a story. We're listening to some examples from some great fantastic narrators and what their pacing sounds like, and then we're going to look at your competition. As a narrator, you have actually a very large competitor that is always growing, that is running up behind you. You can see him or her in the rear mirror, and they are forever coming closer. And we shall discuss, hopefully at the end, their nature. So, we've covered what we're going to be doing, so we can now move on to the next slide. I have slides! The reason we have slides, by the way, I don't need slides, I don't like using slides, but it's so that we can play audio through Discord. You don't need to look at the slides, you just need to be part of the stream and listen. Okay, so, this section is the examples from me. I have a couple of sentences that I have written myself, and then also a paragraph from Vanker the Dragon, which is a book that I've read, and we're going to show how pacing can change the feel of a piece of text. So, the title of this section is examples from me, Pacing changes meaning. So I have a sentence written out here, and I'm just going to read it plain, without any sort of emphasis or pacing, and you'll get the idea of it. So, Dave was always late. Always. I tried to explain to him that it was important to me that he be on time, but it never seemed to get into his thick skull. Eventually, he arrived. That is the simple sentence. And we're going to spend most of our time on the very first sentence which is, Dave was always late, always. I want to show to you how where you put the pause in this sentence changes the meaning of it. So, you could just read it straight. Dave was always late, always. And it doesn't really tell you much about Dave. It doesn't tell you much about how late he was. And it doesn't tell you how much frustration the narrator has about Dave's lateness. So we're going to now reread this, and we're going to go put a pause in the sentence in different places. An important lesson to learn about narration is that punctuation doesn't matter. There is punctuation in a text, and it is to guide you and to help you, but you don't have to follow it. Sometimes I read straight through a full stop because I think it will better be suited, because the story has a certain pace going with it, and the next sentence is actually pretty well connected to the first one, and so you just glide straight through it. Likewise, you can add commas and take commas away. You don't have to read them as they are in the text. So. We're going to start at the beginning, and then we're going to move the pause along, and you can see how it changes it. So, Dave was always late. Always. With this first example, we've emphasised Dave. So, from this, you kind of get an idea that we have some history with Dave. Dave. We're exasperated at it. If we then move the pause along one more word, Dave was always late. Always. Always. In that example, we have more emphasised both of the always. So Dave was always late. So we're emphasising the fact that not only is he late, he is always late. We can move it along, another word. Dave was always late. Always. So in that, we're wanting to emphasise what it is about Dave that we're telling the person. Dave was always something. What was he always? He was late. Each of these examples emphasises a different part of the sentence and so gives the reader an idea of what the narrator's relationship to Dave is. And then we can extend the pause where the actual comma is. Dave was always late. Always. And the longer you make that pause, the more frustrated the narrator sounds with Dave that he is always late. Do you generally get the idea of how pauses can change how... As a listener and the narrator narrate to the character of Dave that we are listening to here. Now, of course, when you are narrating, you don't always have to come to every sentence and try and work out what it is what is it that I'm trying to convey? How is my relationship with Dave feeling right now? How is how is the narrator's relationship? It's it's more of an intuition, but it's something to bear in mind that your pauses do have a power. Dave is always late, always. So we can try and read the rest of paragraph, so we could just read it straight. I tried to explain to him that it was important to me that he be on time, but it never seemed to get into his thick skull. Eventually he arrived. We can add in pauses to this to give emphasis to particular words. I tried to explain to him that it was important to me that he be on time, but it never seemed to get into his thick skull. Where we put the pause there changes the emphasis on particular words. I tried to explain to him that it was important to me that he be on time, but it never seemed to get into his thick skull. And we have changed again the meaning, because we're uh, emphasising there, I tried, and thick skull. And this changes the pacing of the story, it changes the type of the story. I will demonstrate more with the next section, which is from Vankia the Dragon. Vankia the Dragon is a comedy. All of the reviews love how funny it is, and... Some of them like the style I gave to the narration that added to the comedy. But how you pace the story can change the genre of the story. So, I'm going to add in emphasis and tone, which is going to change the style as well, but the pacing of it is also going to have a large effect on how you perceive what the genre the story is from. I can't talk very well. So this is a comedy, and I'm going to read it as if it was a dark fantasy and this is the first sentence or so of the story, so it's going to give you an idea of, of what to expect. So, this is a comedy, but we're going to read it like it is a dark fantasy. Van the dragon, great calamity of his age, stirred as he awakened from his sleep. This Sixty-foot-long beast of legends with scales more radiant than molten rubies and great jet-black wings yawned as he stretched his body, pushing away some of the gold and jewels of his hard-won hoard. How good, he thought, his golden eyes opening and acclimating to the darkness of his cave, to rest on the wages of victory after a feast. So, if you were to come to this audiobook and hear it read like that, you'd be picturing this dragon as a great beast, and you might be quite scared, wondering how is this great calamity going to affect the land, what kingdoms is he going to tumble? But, if we take how I actually narrated it, you get more of an idea of it being a comedy. So, we'll use the pacing and the style of a more comedic reading. Vankir the dragon, great calamity of his age, stirred as he awakened from his sleep. This sixty-foot-long beast of legends, with scales more radiant than molten rubies and great jet-black wings yawned as he stretched his body, pushing away some of the gold and jewels of his hard-won hoard. How good, he thought, his golden eyes opening and acclimating to the darkness of his cave, to rest on the wages of victory after a feast. So I obviously added a lot more emphasis in the second one, but I took a lot less pauses, Generally, if you add more pauses into a narration, you're going to add a lot more intensity. Sometimes that's good. We're going to come on to a good example of an intense reading and how it fits the book perfectly in just a second. So I hope that was useful in a way, those two examples of how one can use pacing to change the meaning of a story and the feel of a story. Here we go. Section three. We're moving through this at the speed of light. This is going to be a much shorter episode than last time. Shorter chapter. Here we have three examples of three books that I love. The first one doesn't actually have very many reviews, but it was from my childhood and I have a fond memory of it, and I felt we should have a female narrator in here, and I love the way this book is narrated. So this is The Enchanted Horse. We then have Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, read by Stephen Fry. Sorry, The Enchanted Horse is read by Anna Massey. And the last one is from the Red Rising series read by Tim Gerard Reynolds. This is one of my favourite audiobook series of all time. So we're going to listen to about 30 seconds of each one, and we're going to have a commentary on what we think of the narrations. And we're going to start with Harry Potter, because this is one that everyone knows, and then we'll go to the Red Rising books, and then we'll end with The Enchanted Horse. So, Stephen Fry. The
1: Boy Who Lived Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of Number 4 Privet Drive were proud to say that they were perfectly normal, thank you very much. They were the last people you'd expect to be involved in anything strange or mysterious because they just didn't hold with such nonsense. Mr. Dursley was the director of a firm called Grunnings which made drills. He was a big, beefy man with hardly any neck although he did have a very large moustache. Mrs. Dursley was thin and blonde and had nearly twice the usual amount of neck, which came in very useful as she spent so much of her time craning over garden fences, spying on the neighbours. The Dursleys had a small son called Dudley, and in their opinion there was no finer boy anywhere.
0: We're just going to play 30 seconds, because I think we can get away with 30 seconds under fair use if we're giving a commentary and analysis. So, this is the sample that is readily available on Audible. You can go and listen to this right now. I think there's two important things to take note of the pacing that Stephen Fry uses in the Harry Potter books that makes them so easy to listen to. Part of it is that Stephen Fry is very well known, and so everyone already knows his voice. So you know his camber and his style, and so it's easy to listen to but he also takes a surprising number of breaks and breaths in a sentence. He will breathe multiple times within one sentence. He takes great pauses for emphasis. So, Mr. Dursley was a large man with a big neck. And you could say, Mr. Dursley was a large man with a big neck. But this is a children's story, so the emphasis is somewhat exaggerated. But he takes time to emphasise each particular thing and put a pause between descriptions so that the listener, and in this instance is likely a child, has time to understand Mr. Dursley is a large man. He also has a big neck. And, pause, he does drills. It makes it a very easy listening, because you don't have to work hard to keep up with what the narrator's saying. It's just easily absorbed and your brain processes at the right speed. Another thing to remember is that people can speed up narrations if they want to. They can also slow them down, but I've never really heard of people doing that. So next, we're going to go to the Red Rising series. This is the last in the series. I decided to go with this one because it's the highest quality. This is the sample. I took out most of the gory bit, but if you're very sensitive, it can be a bit uh, sensitive, this.
1: Tears leak from my eyes, not from the pain, but from the casualness of his cruelty. It makes me feel so small. Why does it take so little for him to hurt me so much? It almost makes me miss the box. He's only a baboon in a suit, another says. Leave off him. He don't know any better. Don't know any better, Danto asks. He liked the fit of Master's clothes, like lording over us. Danto crouches so he's looking into my eyes. I try to look away, frightened he'll hurt me again. But he seizes my head and pulls open my eyelids with his thumb so we're eye to eye. There we go. So, this
0: is a fantastic example of pacing, giving atmosphere. Uh, We're not going to listen to this again, but we're going to look into the exact amount of pauses that Gerard Reynolds uses for this exact story and in this exact section so that we can really show he gives very long pauses last we're going to look at the enchanted horse once inside arena stood still wondering what to do she'd never seen such confusion in a shop before it didn't really look like a shop at all more like the untidiest house in the world the piles of old furniture reached right up to the ceiling and it was difficult to pass between them There were ornaments, too, and brass buckets and lampstands, and old stoves and typewriters, and objects you couldn't tell the use of. There we go. So that's a much faster reading, but again... She's reading it very slowly and emphasising the words of importance so that you can understand the description of what's going on. You can ignore most of what she's saying and pick up on the bits that she's emphasising with pauses before it, which describe the area or describe the scene that the character is currently in. Fantastic. So here we go. This is the recording we have from the Red Rising series uh, written by Pierce Brown and narrated by Tim Gerard Reynolds. This audio waveform here is the section that we just listened to, and so we're going to go into the minutiae here. So, this is about the 30 seconds that we will listen to here, and I've put in the timings of the pauses that he puts in, and you can artificially put these in, or put them in yourself as you're reading. I would recommend you do it yourself as you are reading. You don't wait until the edit to get all the timing sorted out, although that can be difficult if you're having to stop and correct yourself a lot. So we had the first chunk of the narration just the first couple of seconds and then there's a pause a pause for effect between the two do people mind if we play it again i'm just going to play it one more time so that we can have an idea of what we're listening to again so we're going to play it one more time
1: tears leak from my eyes not from the pain but from the casualness of his cruelty it makes me feel so small why does it take so little for him to hurt me so much It almost makes me miss the box. He's only a baboon in a suit, another says. Leave off him. He don't know any better. Don't know any better, Danto asks. He like the fit of Master's clothes, like lording over us. Danto crouches so he's looking into my eyes. I try to look away, frightened he'll hurt me again but he seizes my head and pulls open my eyelids with his thumb so we're eye to eye.
0: Okay, I've reminded myself there. So there's a very good section at the start we can look at where he gives a description of what it is that he's saying and then gives a fantastic 1.2 second pause where the narration continues but it emphasizes the why does it hurt so much? And you can see the absolutely ginormous amount of space he gives between characters. This is important for the listener. So you can see In a normal dialogue, between the narration and the words that a character is saying, he only leaves half a second. But when he's got a gap between two characters talking, there's a one and a half seconds. And this is very important to let your reader or listener know that you've switched characters. Especially if you're not doing very clear voices, you need to leave a significant space so that the listener knows a new character has come in, this isn't the same character talking. And... Jared Reynolds does do voices, but they're not necessarily the most, in this series anyway, the most distinct, because a lot of the characters are very... They're all from the same place, even the same family a lot of the time. So they have very similar sounding voices. So he leaves these huge gaps so that the listener has time to process someone who's speaking. And then again, at the end, after the dialogue is finished, there's almost two seconds as he waits to go then back into the narration. So you now, as a listener, know... The dialogue's finished, we're going back into describing the scene again. It gives you some some breaks, some pause. And then later on we didn't get to listen to it. There's a paragraph break, and there's a whole nearly two and a half seconds of pause in between the paragraphs. This book has a lot of pauses in it, and it's it's a very emotional book and a very emotional story, but these pauses really help to drive home the emotionalness of it, if that's a word. And I would say it's important that you understand the story that you're reading to know whether you should put that length of pause in it. If you're reading a comedy, you don't need to be giving a one and a half second pause for emphasis, because you're not going to have the character suddenly describe their most inner woes and fears of the planet being burned up in a nuclear holocaust. It's funny, it's light. But if the whole family of your main character has died, and there's a whole chapter of them uh, wallowing in the sadness of that, then long pauses lend to that. So, next. Here we go. This is the bit I've been looking forward to. Your competition. So, an important thing to think about when you're doing pacing is to think about your competition. And what do I mean by your competition? I mean text-to-speech. Text-to-speech has come an awfully long way, and it's coming, and there's nothing we can do to stop it. And so you have to bear in mind the things that text-to-speech can do, and the things that you can do, and what you can do to set yourself apart from text-to-speech. So just to freak you all out, this is the text-to-speech that I use to prep books, so I listen to a whole audiobook using this text-to-speech. So I've got one of them, which is an American male, he's reading Harry Potter, and then I've got the British female reading The Enchanted Horse. So, here we go, we'll play the American male.
2: Chapter 1. The Boy Who Lived. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley, of number 4, Privet Drive, were proud to say that they were perfectly normal, thank you very much. They were the last people you'd expect to be involved in anything strange or mysterious, because they just didn't hold with such nonsense. Mr. Dursley was the director of a firm called Grunnings, which made drills. He was a big, beefy man with hardly any neck, although he did have a very large mustache. Mrs. Dursley was thin and blonde and had nearly twice the usual amount of neck, which came in very useful as she spent so much of her time craning over garden fences, spying on the neighbors. The Dursleys had a small son called Dudley and in their opinion there was no finer boy anywhere. The Dursleys had everything they wanted, but they also had a secret, and their greatest fear was that somebody would discover it. They didn't think they could bear it if anyone found out about the potters. Mrs. Potter was Mrs. Dursley's sister, but they hadn't met for several years. In fact, Mrs. Dursley pretended she didn't have a sister, because her sister and her good-for-nothing husband were as undursleyish as it was possible to be. The Dursleys shuddered to think what the neighbors would say if the Potters arrived in the street. The Dursleys knew that the Potters had a small son, too, but they had never even seen him. This boy was another good reason for keeping the Potters away. They didn't want Dudley mixing with a child like that.
0: There we go. So that's Matthew... This is using an Amazon text to speech. That is actually, you get a million words free every month to convert from text to speech. So then we'll listen to Amy, which is a British female.
1: The Enchanted
0: Horse. It was Christmas Eve, and the afternoon had frozen as hard and
2: milky as a pearl. The sun was as thin and pale as a disk of ice in a sky as white as the snowy ground. Arena walked in front of her mother and
0: father along the lane that led across the fields to the village. She was dressed in a sheepskin coat and boots and mittens and a sheepskin hat. Her long fair plait hung down beside her. The cold pinched her thin cheeks and the trees that grew on each side of the lane poked their black fingers through the freezing fog as if they were trying to clutch at her as she went by. So there we go. That is the Amazon Text to Speech I wonder how deepfake voice would work for your work. Yes, so you can deepfake your voice as well. There is a website called Descript that you read a script that's about 20 minutes worth of audio. And from that, it can create an AI version of your voice, which is surprisingly convincing. It obviously sounds like an AI, but it sounds like an AI of you. So it does the emphasis as you would do an emphasis text-to-speech is becoming more and more listenable to. Even since I've been using it and using Amazon, their text-to-speech has gotten better and better. Maybe I'm just getting used to it. But with Descript as well, it's about to become free to make an audiobook that is listenable to. What is it that AI can't do? It can't create. I'd say at the moment, but I have strong feelings that that's... We're getting into philosophy there. It can't do anything creative. It can only do what it's told. And so, if you were to want to change the meaning of a sentence with pacing, if you were wanting to say, Dave is always late, or Dave is always late, you have to program that in specifically for that sentence for that AI voice. It's not going to be able to do it on the fly. That is something, as an actor, as an orator, that you can do that an AI can't and is what's going to keep us ahead of the machines. AI voices are becoming very listenable, but to keep your job as a voice actor, you need to be better than what you just listened to. If you're reading constantly at the same pace, you're going to sound very much like a text-to-speech to people. You need to give it some variation, give it some character, make it genre-specific. Something I find difficult about using the Amazon Polly text-to-speech when preparing my books is that all of my books sound the same. Whether I'm listening to Derelict, which is a sci-fi lit RPG, or I'm listening to Vankyo the Dragon, it sounds exactly the same. The same voice, the same intonations, and in these short sections you might think, oh look, they've got a lot of variation in the way they talk, but I guarantee you, if you listen to it for more than ten minutes, it becomes exhausting that actually they still sound very similar sentence-to-sentence. The more you can change things up, the more you can add pauses and breaks and an emphasis here and a de-emphasis there, the more you differentiate yourself from a machine that's free. And I think that's important to bear in mind, one, if you're wanting to be appealing to your listeners, and two, if we're wanting to stay ahead of the AI apocalypse. And I think on that dire note is where I shall end my TED talk. Are there any questions? Logan, for one, welcomes our new AI overlords. If they look like C-3PO, I'm sure they could do it easily. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. Kate, squishy potatoes, do you have any questions about audiobook narration technique? It doesn't have to be pacing related, it could be anything. Or something that wasn't answered last time. Or Luca, do you have any questions? I do have a go-to vocal warm-up. I shall find it for you. I just do something that I'm likely to do. Something that means that i get it done and it's easy i just one day i googled vocal warm-up or youtubed vocal warm-up and that was what came up there's a five minute version a 10 minute version a 15 minute version 20 minute version i think there's an hour long version that you can spend warming up your voice and there's a 30 minute one i mean i really i should do the 30 minute one but i don't think i get enough time to actually record in a day to really give 30 minutes at the start to warming up i should maybe maybe i should get more time to all right. who knows Family life gets in the way. That is more specifically for singing. Mouth clicks. Yes, I do. Uh, generally, they happen in between words, so you can take them out. I have an editor who does that for me, so I don't generally have to deal with it. But I do edit my own stuff occasionally. So the Book to New World stuff, I tried to get my editor to edit, and she said it's too difficult uh, because it's all, it's all improv stuff, and it's all over the place why I do that, which is why it's now taking a lot longer than it normally does. But I do get clicks in there every so often. There's ways to avoid it. The best way to avoid clicks is to not have them in the first place. And there's two techniques for that. One, if you want to narrate, remember to hydrate. And hydration isn't just a matter of downing a liter of water before you start narrating. It is a way of life. You need to be hydrated All of the time. This is why Thule takes it upon herself to remind me to drink all the time. It does mean you go to the toilet an awful lot, to the restroom, but it avoids the clicks. Because the clicks are produced by saliva in your mouth. Yeah, so the clicks are produced with saliva in your mouth that is sort of mixing in with your tongue and all the things moving around. And if you drink more, then the saliva is going to be less thick and less clicky. The other technique is green apples. I personally haven't used it, but apparently green apples is a really good way to prevent clickiness in your mouth. If you listen to the first Red Rising audiobook, there's an amazing amount of clicks in that from Tim Jared Reynolds, who's this famous narrator, and there's a click often at the end of a sentence. I am. You can go to the Kit I Use channel, and you'll see I use the Avantone C12. So I did almost no research on the microphone that I was going to use, because I did my initial like Reddit search, Facebook search, Google search, what microphone should I use, and everybody said something different. And So I was like, how on earth do I choose which one I'm going to use? And at the time, I was listening to a narrator, Jeff Hayes of Soundbooth Theatre, and I was like, this guy sounds great, what microphone does he use? So I searched on social media, I found that he'd done an AMA and Ask Me Anything on Reddit, and... Someone had asked him, what microphone do you use? And he said he used an Avertone C12. And I googled it. Turns out that... Who was it? Famous singer. Female singer. What's her name? Who did fireworks? Katy Perry. I think Katy Perry uses this microphone. Someone who is at least as famous as Katy Perry. Who did Hello from the Other Side? Adele. No, it's Adele. Adele uses this microphone. Thanks, Luca. Perfect. This is... This is why we have you here so this only costs i say only but really it is only compared to other microphones you can buy it costs me 500 pounds it actually cost me 340 because it was on sale but it is a fantastic microphone you don't need anything better than this there we go that's all i have to say about that you need an interface with this one so this is an xlr microphone uh, it's a condenser mic i don't actually know what a condense like i say i've done very little research on microphones That's because I I listened to Booth Junkie when I was starting my narration career. And he was like, don't worry about the microphone, worry about the recording space. And so I just got something that was good enough and wasn't hugely expensive. A condenser mic is a certain type of microphone and they use these cables called XLR cables. You can't plug them into your computer. You need an interface. Booth Junkie is such a legend. Honestly, I owe a lot of my career to him. Go and subscribe. That's true. The interface is about £80. So it's probably about $80. And then I think you might have to buy the cables as well, but they'll be about 10. But that's a good point. You do have to add that in. You don't need a high-end interface. Really. Most people use a Focusrite. A high-end interface would be useful if you've got multiple inputs. So if you've got four microphones and two instruments, and you want to mix them all in at the same time on a multitrack, then a high-end interface will work very well. And if you're wanting to do high-end live streaming, where you want to be able to mix the audio live and the the levels and the gain and the compression and that sort of stuff then a high-end interface would be useful but you do all of that in post as a narrator and most of the time as a voice actor so you don't need all of that built into your interface you just need a box that will get your condenser mic into your recording software and then you can do all the fancy stuff there after you've recorded so the i would recommend the focusrite 2i2 i think it's the one i use again it's in the list any other questions I think next time, we're going to go into character voices. Here we go. Condenser versus dynamic mics. Condenser has wide, accurate frequency response, whereas dynamic allows louder dynamic range. Fascinating. So you can really get into what microphone suits my voice. So some of them give a a warmer tone, some of them give a more treble tone. I don't really know what all of that means at the end of the day. I know what it means, but... At the quality that Audible downloads the audiobooks onto the app, I feel like it's not that important. So, I've said this many times, the Audible app automatically downloads the audiobooks at the lowest possible quality. You have to manually go into the app and select the higher quality setting for you to get the higher quality. And there's actually quite a significant difference in the quality of the audio. I tested it. There's also a significant difference in the size of the file that you end up downloading. Uh, you'll fill up your phone a lot quicker. But if you are worried about getting the perfect microphone, you've got to bear in mind that people aren't listening to your stuff at the highest possible quality. Okay, Logan, I would say that is important. If you're doing a dual narration, so you've got two males, or a male and a female, or two females, people's voices are very different, and it's important that you get them to mesh well together. So I love the Red Rising series, and there's three of them. I refuse to accept that there's any more, but they did more. And in the other ones, they did dual narrations or multicast. And the mixing of the voices in that is terrible. It's really very abrupt. And I don't like it. Just te- as soon as I heard there was a different narrator, I stopped listening. I haven't listened to any more of it. So you don't need to worry about this if you're a new narrator, because you're not going to be doing dual narrations. And I personally don't like them. But it's important that you get the voices to sound similar. So that might require using different mics so that the different styles mesh better. How do you hype yourself up before recording, especially if you aren't feeling it that day? You don't feel like Top Dear Jack, but you have to record, what does Jack do? Or is every day Top Dear Jack? Well, this is a very good question. I've frequently had this for the Mother of Learning podcast. Sorry to ruin any illusions on that one. But the Mother of Learning podcast was always recorded at, it started at 9 o'clock p.m., 9 p.m. for me. And was going to be two hours. So we were going to be finishing at 11. And uh, I had kids and was exhausted. And when we first started it, it was a net negative, massively. It was costing us a lot of money and to have it edited. And also, didn't want to use up any of my time in the week recording it. And also... Thirdly, I knew that most of the people who are listening and most of the people I should be advertising to are American, and so I needed to do the live recording as late as possible so that it was like in the afternoon at least for the USA and it wasn't early morning. So I'd get to the end of a long day of having recorded for most of the day, having had a broken night for my kids, and then I would need to come and do Mother of Learning for two hours in the evening. Things that really helped are doing them live. So having a chat to people before I start narrating gives me a bit more energy but also the fact that you are reading to someone and not just sat in a room or stood in my case in a room by yourself really gives you the energy because you want to you want to make it good for the person who's listening right there and then if any of you listening now are real wannabe narrators and you've got your space sorted out and you've got a microphone come into the tavern the discord server and i will happily have you narrate live for an audience here we can listen to you give you some tips or you can just do it and not talk to anyone but it is very helpful narrating live. Also, visualisation is important for narrating, whether you have energy or not. You have to visualise the scene that you're in and work out what the energy of the scene is. If you're placing yourself in the scene, you are taking the energy somewhat from the scene, so you get a guide of how you should be acting. So in the first book that I recorded, Ash to Ashes, there is much to be desired in that, and I recorded that at different times in the day. To some of it I recorded in the evening, some of it I recorded in the middle of the day, and a couple of chapters I recorded in the morning. And I noticed when I came back through and listened to it, I could really tell the ones that I recorded in the morning. And it was like early morning, I've just woken up. And Ash to Ashes was before kids. And so I would, it would be seven o'clock in the morning, my wife would be asleep and I'd be downstairs. And I would, one, just woken up, and two, be trying to be quiet so that I didn't wake her up. And it's, you can really tell. And so I just, from that moment on, tried to bear it in mind that it's very obvious when someone's tone changes, so try not to. It doesn't matter so much chapter to chapter, because each chapter is a new start. It is sometimes quite noticeable, the changes between chapters, but people will be forgiving if, for chapter 5, you sound a bit energetic, and then uh, chapter 4, the pace is slowed down anyway, so your voice sounds different. They've kind of reset for the start of the new... Uh, chapter anyway what's really bad is if you get halfway through a chapter you stop recording you come back two days later and you feel different and then you just start from where you left off the difference will be so jarring people will comment on it in the in the reviews almost guaranteed amazingly you can tell in a lot of professionally published audiobooks you can tell the mistakes that someone makes and they have to put them back in So when I'm reading, I try and read it perfect, but I miss out words, I add in words. And so it gets edited, and it comes back, and the editor says, you didn't say this word in this sentence, and you've got to put it in. The way publishing companies work is that they just get you to send them a list of sentences where you've reread the sentence. And you could just write them all out in a Word document and read them. And then some poor editor has to go in and put it in and make it sound the same energy and same level as it was when you actually read it, and it often doesn't. I don't know if I can give you a concrete step-by-step. How do you maintain your energy? But I think the best thing is the visualizing the scene that you're in and becoming the characters. You are the dialogue. You act like you are saying that to that person. And then you sort of swap sides. And then you are the other person. You act like you're saying it back. So if you're talking about there being a fire in the room and you need to get out, you'd say that with the... There's a fire! Get out! And the other guy's like, oh, no, I'm not really... I'm not really feeling it. What? There's literally feel fire, can't you see it? Because that's how you talk. The narration side of it's a bit more tricky, but the narration generally should be a bit more relaxed anyway, so you don't need to worry about maintaining the high energy for it so much. There we go. I think that's, my, that's all of my thoughts on that. Visualisation. I find visualising the dialogue quite easy. I can, I can be Zorian talking, and then I can be Zack talking... I can be Sudomir in Mother of Learning Talking, and then I can be Kuta I can really get into those characters and, and know how they'd emphasize certain things very naturally. I don't have to think about it. But visualizing, it's like Inception. I find it quite difficult. So you're supposed to visualize yourself reading to someone, and that should help you, or telling someone a story. And that's how to not read like you're reading. So you you can very much tell when someone's talking versus when they're reading, and Ideally, as a narrator, you should sound just like you're talking to someone, not like you're reading, which is challenging to do because we don't talk like we write. But the best way to do that is to not picture that you're reading a book, is to picture that you're just telling someone a story. So I did a book once called Of Humans and Empires. It's like an hour and a half long. I really enjoyed doing it. And the whole premise of the story is that it's a guy sat in a bar telling a story to a friend or another guy at the bar. And it made it really easy to give the narration some character, because I could picture myself there telling someone a story. That's what I was doing. And it was kind of written like that as well. But if you can constantly swap your visual image, I'm character X standing, talking to character Y. I'm character Y responding back to them. Okay, now I'm sat at a table telling you about these characters. Okay, right now I'm back. I'm character X again. Okay, now I'm sat at a table telling you about character X. Yeah, exactly. Gollum Smeagol. I would say the public speaking helped with talking slowly. It also helped with enunciation. And it really helped with whenever I get to a part in a story where it's giving a, some exposition. So it does this a lot in Derelict, where it would say, Slater realised that if he had 15 salvage, he could build 15 15 construction drones and those construction drones could go on to build 20 more construction drones he realized that with his research at its current rate he could perform so many things and from there he would be able to do this so this is a, it's a very public speaking i am telling you information and i'm making it clear and concise and you get all of the points that you need and it's emphasizing the pertinent information i those i love those bits in stories because i do them very well what it didn't help with was the projection and i tended to read like a news reporter where you would read like how do you hype yourself up for recording especially if you aren't feeling it today you don't feel like top dear jack but you have to record what does jack do Or is every day top tier Jack? That's how I would read when I first started, because I was sort of used to giving these scientific talks of, today, I am talking about X123 protein, and what is important that you know about X123 protein is this, Uh, which isn't how you narrate. You're not giving a sales pitch. You're caressing someone's ears. If you want to narrate, do not forget to hydrate. Both literally, yes, and figuratively, depending what headphones they're wearing. So yeah, I used to love listening to audiobooks as a kid. I distinctly remember a time where I, I think I must have been quite ill at the time, and I was lying in bed, and I couldn't sleep, so I played an audiobook for most of the night. And it would have been Harry Potter, probably, read by Stephen Fry at the time. And I distinctly remember this just real sense of calm as I looked over how many cassette tapes were left in the cassette box, and how much time I had left of being able to listen to this audiobook and be distracted from whatever discomfort I was in at the time. As I've come on in my career, I try to picture that I'm sat on top of my cassette tape player and my younger self is lying in bed, not feeling very well, and it's dark, and I am reading a story to young Jack and trying to read it in such a way that he can just forget about what's going on, the discomfort that he's in, and what's going on in the rest of the world and can be completely absorbed into this story. And if you can read something... If you can really visualise you doing that for someone, I think it can really help how you're reading the story. And the pacing that you give it, the emphasis you give it, the volume you read at. I mean, even just thinking about that now, I've gone more quiet and more gentle. I, I constantly keep thinking I should start narrating sitting down, because it's a lot more relaxing. And so you'd generally narrate a lot more relaxed. But I think it's far better for my health to narrate standing up, because it's not good to be sat down all day. A rocking chair. Ideal. They say sitting's the new smoking. Yeah, I think I should do more hip flexor stretches as well. Because if you sit, you end up getting tight hip flexors, which gives your pelvis an anterior tilt, which means you can't use your diaphragm so well. So being limber is also probably useful for your uh, audio narration career. We can do a whole session on breathing, not that I necessarily know much about it. Stand up, indeed. I mean, Logan's standing, I'm standing. iBot's just an artificial intelligence, so he can't stand. You are the black goat. You blame Japan. Well, uh, you can squat. Squatting's very good for you. Stand or squat. It's just sitting in a chair that's supposed to be bad for you. I think sitting on the floor is okay. Better than a chair. The problem with a chair, because it brings your legs up towards your abdomen, and so it shortens your hip flexors, so that then when you stand up, they remain short, and it tilts your whole pelvis backwards, and turns off your abdominals. Right. Due to my awesome levels of hydration, I rather need a break. So I think we'll end there, because we've covered all the pertinent points, and we've answered some questions. Right. Thank you so much for hanging out, everyone. I'm going to go to the bathroom, and then uh, maybe get some admin done. Oh no, I've got to go, uh, go get fajita stuff. It's Fajita Thursdays, or as we like to call it here, Fajita Thursdays. I love you all, and we will be back to Derelict tomorrow. Much joy. Oh, nice one. Great, Logan. Shenanigans. I shall do more Gandalf as well. Goodbye, little hobbit. Bye-bye. Okay, bye now.